Acts, the ninth chapter. We're going to begin reading here in the third verse. It says this, and this is Paul's conversion. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round about him. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Now you say, I thought we were talking about Paul. He used to be called Saul. Later on, his name was changed to Paul. He said, then he fell to the ground, and this voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul wasn't purposely attacking Jesus, but he was coming against the church. The Lord takes it personal when people come against the church. We don't have to defend this place. The Lord will take it up for us. You with me? And it said, and he said, who are you? And we talked about that. The first thing Paul said to the Lord is, who are you? Who, who's talking? And then it goes on to say, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, and we talked about that. Isn't it interesting, the very thing, the first thing that happens to Paul, first thing when he comes to start walking with the Lord is, now this is going to be deep. He starts talking to him. The whole thing starts off with the Lord doing something in his life, but Paul's response, talking to this one he's encountering. Interesting. Then it says, you know, after he tells him this, so he trembling. So, you know, he's standing there and it's getting worse. And he's now trembling and astonished. Why? Because his whole life had been opposed to this way before this. Then he says this, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's an interesting thought is, the first thing he said is, who are you? He finds out, he said, what do you want me to do? What's interesting is, how many people, when they come to know the Lord, they say, Lord, who are you? I want you to do this for me. And Paul doesn't do that. He said, who are you? And then what do you want me to do? Because here's the thing. The Bible tells us there's nobody who gives unto the Lord or does unto the Lord that he doesn't repay. So he starts off by giving his life, by surrender. You direct me. What do you want me to do? And so he said to him here, then the Lord said to him, arise. So that means he's on the ground. So probably not an uncommon place when you have an encounter with God. Somebody said, what happened to that girl when we prayed for her? Or that guy and they fell down. Well, they had an encounter with God. He had one. So the Lord said, get up. We're more gracious. We use ushers. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that because he is definitely more gracious. Maybe this is something we should look at, though. Arise, go back to your seat, and go into the city, and notice this phrase, and you will be told what you must do. Arise, go into the city, and, and then you'll be told what you must do. Does anybody find that interesting? 
I do. These are red letters. That tells me this is Jesus talking. This man has an encounter. He said, what do you want me to do? So now the Lord requires something of him in this relationship. So now Paul has to respond to the relationship. Where was further instruction coming for Paul? The Lord's appearing to him. It was in his obedience from responding. I found that true in my life. When I came to know the Lord, the Lord required of me. Nobody said anything. I didn't hear a sermon. Inside, I just knew. Watch who you hang around with. Watch the music you listen to. And start reading your Bible. And, you know, get into church. I knew those things. I didn't need a sermon. I knew them. I heard sermons, but I didn't need one. I knew them. I knew them from the Lord. But I knew this, I had to do them if I wanted to go further with the Lord too. You know, if there's a sign that says go here, then turn, turn left and go here and you'll get there. Understand, having this communion, fellowship, talking to the Lord, getting dealt with the, with the Lord is all part of us following the pattern of Paul, but it's all about us staying on our course. Because so many people are looking for big things, and it's usually not the big things that make you get to big places. It's when God deals with you about giving. It's when God deals with you about serving. It's when God deals with you about being here. It's when God deals with you about reading or witnessing. All those little things make up the big thing. If I want to get up on the mountain, it's all the little steps along the way that get me there. God may show me the mountaintop, but it's like that one Christmas song, put one foot in front of the other. You know, the snowman guy, the abominable snowman. I know some people don't know this because they're not familiarized in the finer things of Christmas. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and stuff like that. One foot in front of the other, and soon you're going to be walking out the door. Notice it's steps along the way. And Paul here starts off his relationship talking to the Lord. One thing Paul starts noticing when you start talking to the Lord, the Lord starts talking to you. And I don't mean an audible voice. This whole new life of the believer is something we all need to not just come into and visit when we first get saved because we have a desire to know God. It should be the pattern of our life to have fellowship with him, talk with him. Paul recognized God does something when you talk to him. And this became a huge thing to Paul's life. So he gets up and he goes into the city. And he's blinded literally by the, these lights. So he goes into the city in the 11th verse, there's this man who knows how terrible Paul is, and the Lord starts talking to him, and he said, Ananias, I, I need you to go over here. There's this guy, Paul. Verse 11 says, so the Lord said to him, arise, go into the street called Straight, to at, uh, inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul, of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Well, he started off praying. Now he goes into the city, and as a believer, he is praying. You know what I find fascinating? 
He said, you go there, Ananias, and I want you to do this on Paul's behalf. Paul is now obeying me. Paul is responding to me. Paul is doing what I asked. I need you to now do something for Paul because Paul needs something, and I need you to do it. Ananias was just whoever, but God can use whosoever. And this is pretty profound. He told him the address, where he's at. And what I find interesting is I don't know if the Lord said, Paul, I wa- I'm watching you pray, but he told other people, I'm watching him pray. Paul needed some stuff, and it's interesting. He told Paul things when he was praying here, and we don't have time to go look at that. But what I want to look at is Paul had a pattern that started at the beginning was he just didn't walk with the Lord and do a work for the Lord, he walked with the Lord all through his life. Though he served and did different things for the Lord, he kept a personal relationship with the Lord. From the beginning, he noticed God moving miraculously in his life. And here's the thing, can you come in contact with God as a believer and not have miraculous things happen in your life? Seriously. I mean, if God is alive, and you get busy, and you start talking to him, and you start responding to him, are you telling me God is not going to do something big in your life? He's a big God. He's a strong God. He's not secretive. He doesn't hide himself. He will unveil himself. And so Paul here starts recognizing this and thought, hey, this works pretty good. You just start talking to him, and you stay with it. And he just stayed with it. He was there for three days. Now, I'm not saying quit your job and pray for three days. But what I am saying is he was in a situation. He obeyed. He got this pattern started from the beginning. And so he starts praying. And God, because of who God is, started doing something. So before we go, I want to look at three areas that Paul prayed or ways he prayed, that we can pray. And I think it's important for us to know these. And if, if we're looking at Paul's pattern, then there would be things he would say. And if he put super strong emphasis on it, we should give some emphasis to it too. And not go, well, why is that important? And why is that? I mean, hey... If your engine light comes on, it says low oil, you know, you don't have to go, I don't understand this. You know, everybody makes a big thing about this. I don't need to make a big thing about this. This is my car. This is my life. This is my journey. Um, would we all be going, uh, 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 no, don't tell me. This is my journey. And you're like thinking, um, maybe you should go check that out. No, I've been doing this long enough on my own. I'll be okay. And then we see you broken down on the side of the road. So if Paul put emphasis on certain things and really put emphasis on it, then it might be important for us to check it out. 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. 
Let's look at some of the different ways Paul prayed through his life. And he put emphasis on it. 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Paul's writing to this church. And these people were kind of out of order in the way they were doing stuff. But Paul gives, uh, tries to give some order to this church. But then he injects his own personal life into it. And that's what we want to look at. Not just the instructions he gave, but what he did himself. And so here in the 14th chapter, in the 18th verse, it says this, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul is trying to give order because these people would come to church and they'd all pray in tongues in front of people. Lost people would come in, people who didn't know the Lord. And Paul said, listen, if you pray in tongues like that, people are going to think you're a nut. So he said, listen, they're going to think you're a barbarian. You're going you're to be a madman to them. And, and they're going to get turned off and turned out by this because they're uninformed and, and they're unknowledgeable in this subject. So Paul was not saying, don't do this, but notice Paul's response. He said, he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, yet in the church. So where did he do this praying in tongues more than all the rest of this whole church who would come together and do this? And he said, wait a minute. You're only helping yourself. You're not helping others by doing this. And so he knew the help this brought because he said it builds you up spiritually. Well, where did Paul do this? If he didn't do it in the church, he had to do it on his own. And notice he said, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding. So you got to understand this. This speaking in tongues is not another language. It's a heavenly prayer language. And you can go read through and read in the beginning of the chapter. He said, when you pray this way, you don't speak to men. You speak to God. And so all these people were coming together and then speaking to God in tongues. And it wasn't helping anybody and, uh, except for the individual doing it. And so when other people would come in who wouldn't know... They, he said, you're driving them off. But he didn't say, stop it. As a matter of fact, he put so much emphasis on it. He said, I do this more than all of you guys, but just not in the church. He said, why? Because if I speak this way with five words in a known language, uh, uh, for, he said, with my understanding, he said, I can teach others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Why? When I speak, what if I was speaking in tongues right now to you? I would be built up, the Bible said. You wouldn't. It is important when you pray to learn uh, about this truth, but then get filled with the Spirit and pray this way. Why? Because Paul said it was so valuable. He said, I do it more than all of you guys. But when I'm in the church, I talk in known words because I want to build you up. In other words, you could say it like this. Paul on his own built himself up. Then when he came into public, he used natural words that they could understand so they could be built up. How many want to help build up other people? 
I do. But you need to be built up first, and you need to be built up also. The word here, edify, that's mentioned again and again, like in the fourth verse, when you pray this way, it literally means in the Greek to build up. It means to improve yourself. Some people want improvement. It literally means to build a house. How many people want home improvement? Well, this is your home while you're in the earth. And you maybe need some renovation, some home improvement. Paul recognized the value of this home improvement plan, which was pray in the Spirit. Number two, he didn't just pray for himself. He prayed for others. And we can see this pattern again and again. So we don't want to just be selfish and think about me, especially when we're invoking God. If you're invoking God, then God's going to get involved and then I, if, if I take and throw a hand grenade over there, it's going to blow up over there. And if I throw one over there, it's going to blow up over there. Wherever I throw one, there's going to be an effect. What if I start directing my prayers in different ways? Then it's not a hand grenade that blows up, but it's God going to work. He became familiar with God right off and recognized the dynamic ability that God had to do a work in people's lives. So many times we resort to natural things. We get mad at the president. We get mad at the one who we wish was president, who wasn't president, whoever it is, or politicians. Why don't we just direct some prayers over that way instead of some condemning words? What about neighbors? What about work? What about that? What if we start praying for them? Paul recognized this. Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul prayed for others. He recognized the value of not only having a prayer life where he built himself up because you are important. But the fact of the matter is we don't want to be selfish either and uh, we want to know and experience God on our own, but we want other people to know God better. And he recognized if he would direct his prayers towards other people, God would work in their life. If I don't see what happens right when I pray, just, I just need to understand God's working in the spirit realm. I don't need to get in unbelief and think, oh, God's not moving because I'm not seeing it. No, you start praying and God will start working. Paul recognized that. And he didn't freak out when he saw people go off the rails, so to speak. He just prayed. And he knew God would get involved and God would work because this great God he got involved with who just changed the whole course of his life, he knew the ability. So he said, I'm going to pray for others because that same ability, God, he is willing to do it and his ability will go to work if I ask. One writer in the New Testament said, you have not because you ask not. Man, I want God involved in things. Then ask. Require. So Ephesians 1.15 says this, Therefore I also, now this is Paul writing to this church, after I heard of your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, and then making mention of you in my prayers. He didn't cease. He constantly prayed for these people these different ways. Colossians, the first chapter in the ninth verse, talks similarly how once he heard of their faith, he started praying on a regular basis for others. Man, it's important for you to pray for others. What if they're not praying for themselves? 
What if they're in the middle of some kind of battle? Pray for others. Get God involved. In other words, it's one thing for us to give reasoning to people, but it's another thing for us to get God involved. And God will help you when you pray. Number three and four I put together, Paul prayed for himself, not just in tongues, turned to Acts 16, and he had a personal praise life. Paul didn't just pray in tongues for himself, but he prayed in a known tongue. He prayed for himself. He prayed for situations he was in. He would require things of the Lord. And the same old God that showed up and moved mighty when he was there on the Damascus Road experience moved mighty through his life when he prayed. I think some people forget how God moves. I think the devil would love to tempt you and tell you, you're just too busy to pray. You just, you got too much on the plate. You just need to put that away. Don't pray. Hey, you're okay. You love God. Don't pray. Don't read the Bible. Don't do that. Why would he do that? Because then when we don't do it, God's not getting involved like he should. And the devil would love that. And then we wonder why things are all jacked up and things are going on and things are happening all around us. Well, we got too busy. And God was like, what do you want me to do? Because he doesn't just invade. We actually, the church, this may sound foreign to you, but it is an absolute fact. Jesus is the mediator, the only way to get to heaven. But the church is the mediator to the world. We are now the body of Christ. We are the ones who connect the world to God. He said, you go tell them. You go reach them. You go testify to them. The world desperately needs us because we're directing them to Jesus so that they can walk with God. But if we get so busy, then that connection that we have that they don't have, how much is he able to get involved? I bet you there's a lot God would want to do if we just start asking. So notice this in Acts 16. Acts 16, so Paul prayed in tongues for himself. He prayed for others, but not only did he pray in tongues, but he prayed and he praised. And it didn't matter where Paul was at. It didn't matter what was going on. He wasn't moved by circumstances. He even recognized in the middle of troubled times, this is a good time to talk to the Lord. This is a good time for me to uh, talk to him and give him praise. So here we are with Paul's life, Acts 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were hanging out at a Denny's, shooting the breeze. No, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Wait, what? The prisoners? Yeah, they had actually been in jailed and put in stocks, and they had a prayer meeting. And then they had a praise time. Now, they weren't running around because their feet were in the stocks. But I'll tell you what, they start doing this, and the same God who had always moved in his life, moved for other people because he prayed, built him up inside because he prayed in the Spirit. Now he's praying, and all of a sudden now God is working so strong, the whole prison starts shaking as he prayed 
and starts thanking God. One thing we need to recognize, real prayer is not a religious effort. It's not just a duty. It's an opportunity to have an intervention from God in your life and get him working on your behalf. How many people face life and think, what are we going to do? How about praying? We're going to resort to that? Yeah, because if we resort to that, God will get involved. You can guarantee that. Wouldn't it be good to have people start praying and get God involved? Could you imagine what this place would look like if we were all praying like this? And you showed up and you'd been talking to God? And you get in this atmosphere and all of a sudden God's like, I got to get this to them, I got to get this to them, I got to get this to them. And people are praying for that person, so I got to get this to them, and I got to do this in their life. I mean, we talk about places where the devil really works. We go, oh, you go to this part of the city and the devil really works there. Why magnify that? We got a bigger God. We got a greater Lord. Why not make this place a place that's known that, oh, you go there, you better watch out because God is moving. Is he just doing it? Because like God like snapped his fingers and rolled some dice and said, Christ of the nation's church, this Sunday is their Sunday. You're like, man, what's next week? Where's that? That's where I got to go. No. Why does he? Because people ask. People require. You know, there is a verse that says, without faith it's impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that he is. Hebrews eleven six, And believe, what are you to believe? You're not only to believe God is, but Hebrews eleven six says, you must believe that he is a rewarder. You know, God is a rewarder. Who does he reward? He tells you right after. He said, he rewards those who diligently seek him. God just said, if you'll believe me and you'll be diligent, I will reward you. Isn't it interesting Jesus said this about prayer? He said, just don't go and do it openly. He said, but just go do it in secret. And what you get in secret, you'll get to start seeing openly. There's stuff we will do if we'll learn to pray and take the time that'll start showing up all over the place. You with me? God's good. Amen? He wants to move in people's lives. He desperately does. And he's given us this avenue. And Paul's example is worth following.